The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Good morning, everyone. I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, This is a holy place for me. When Holly and I moved to the Dallas area four years ago, um, I would often come to First Baptist Richardson. Uh, even when I was the interim at other places on Sunday nights, I'd sit right there and uh, listen to the contemporary service and find a place to be still to seek the Lord. So I've been thankful for this opportunity and looking forward to this morning. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he will reward you if you seek him. If you set out to find him, that he would help you. When the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, when it describes us as the lost sheep, and he, the good shepherd, in this active search and recovery mission, it's only the first part of a two-part truth. It's only the one part of a dual truth. He seeks us all the time, but we are to seek him as well. We are to have as our life purpose to find this great God who made the world and have a right relationship with him. You will seek me and you will find me when you search with all your heart. That's what Jeremiah 29 says. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you, says our Lord. It's as if the, the central truth of the whole universe is seeking God, beginning there. Get that big piece right and then everything else falls into place. Nothing else can integrate life but that. And so the job of every person is to find this great God and be rightly related to him. Uh, Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in, says C.S. Lewis. Aim at earth and you get neither. I don't know if you listen to Zach Williams. He's a new voice in contemporary Christian music. All the times I worked hard because I believed that life would have meaning through the things I achieved. Every time I thought romance might fill up a hole, that incomplete feeling still ached in my soul. I was looking for you, he says in his new song. The Bible says the same thing. The best thing that can ever happen to any of us is an ambitionectomy, a repentance of every other pursuit, that prodigal son moment where you wake up in a pigsty and you say, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get home. I know he is there, and I'm going to go find him. I'm going to get home. And by the way, in the dual way that truth always is treated in Scripture, the minute you start seeking for him, you'll know that that was him seeking you all along, that he started that ache in your soul, that truth that said, get on up now, go home. Go find this great God to whom you were made in his image, and he will make life make sense for you. The message this morning is called Prayer and Pentecost. You probably know on the calendar that last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. 
And maybe you know the story. I mean, probably you do. But for a few minutes, will you just consider at a deeper level, what is the Holy Spirit of God saying to us this morning through this ancient story? Will you stand together? The words will be printed on the screen, but they're also in your bulletin. Let's read out loud. Let's read this text together. Read for your neighbor. Is it going to be on this? It may not be here. Read off this, read off this sheet altogether. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Thank you, God, for this grand story. You be seated as we think. After the resurrection, after 40 days of Jesus appearing regularly to the disciples, teaching them a brand new way to think about life and about God himself, Before he left, our Lord sent them back to Jerusalem to wait. Wait on what the Father had promised, says verse 4. Wait in a place that could be construed as very dangerous. They'd seen Jesus arrested and beaten there just 50 days before. Uh, But he's saying there's something higher than safety here. There's an agenda higher than just your safety and well-being. Wait in a humble place. No attempt to take control of it or to organize things or uh, make sure you got what you wanted out of the agenda. They were to go back and they were to confess together that what they needed was for God to move. What they needed was God's plan, God's promise, God's power. That would be a good thing for us too, wouldn't it? To decide again that what we really need in this dry and dusty world is for God to move again. Move in people's hearts, break people free, call us to a path of blessing. To regain that sense that God and men could be partners together. That God would be the senior partner and we would be the junior partner and that we could walk the days of this life in his fellowship. That's what they went back to wait on. And will you notice, please, that the way they interpreted the command to wait was to pray. For them, those were synonymous terms. Uh, 
to wait was to pray because that's what the scripture says they did. Verse four, for 10 days in the upper room, without really knowing where this is all going, they met together. Many personalities, many opinions, many experiences of life, but one mind, they prayed. The, the way that Luke writes it in verse 14, they continually devoted themselves to prayer. Uh, it's a Greek word. Uh, pros means toward and kratos means strength. And so it meant uh, to be strong toward something. That if you're going to name one thing that you're going to be good at, one thing that's going to be certain in your life, it's going to be prayer. They were strong toward that. They can, everything else can go away, but not this. They continually, they were strong toward prayer for those 10 days. I have a friend, and I told him that I was coming today, and he said, what will you preach? And I said, prayer boring, he said, without any filter at all. And maybe you feel the same. Maybe prayer feels like to you the most frustrating and tedious of all spiritual tasks. It's agonizing to be still when you really don't want to be still and you don't know how to be still and you've never really been very still. And when God calls you to go be still, it's, it's hard to learn. Maybe during those days where Jesus said, you go wait, Peter and James and John thought about Gethsemane. Um, that night, not many weeks before, when Jesus had told them to pray and they didn't. Maybe they remembered him saying to them on that night, guys, guys, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You continue in prayer. Even if you're sincere, if you don't pray, your flesh will weigh you down. Even if you really mean to serve God, even if you're honest about wanting to serve God, if you do not seek his help, if that fresh wind doesn't flow into your life, your flesh will just be too heavy. It'll drag you down into a thousand material things that you're going to worry about and spend your life on. So maybe they thought about it. Maybe they remembered Jesus begging them to pray that night and, and they didn't and they didn't and they certainly saw how that led. But this time they did. This time, like the Lord at Gethsemane, they prayed and then they went and got a Whataburger and then they prayed again and then they prayed again and prayed again and prayed again. Ten days of this thing like hitting a nail just again and again and again. They were determined, I'm not going to run ahead of God this time. I'm going to wait till he is steering this ship. Now, if you've ever been there, you know that what's changing in that process is not God, it's you. That as you pray and and you go pray again, this time you see a little differently. And as you pray again, then you see it a little bit different again. It, it is in that very nuanced, quiet closet that God shapes you to ask what you should have been asking all along. What's changing is the, his spirit is molding and shaping your heart to pray what you should have said from the very start. He's helping you. It's a conversation. 
Slowly, as I pray, I begin to ask for what I should have seen, but I didn't. I begin to, he opens my heart and my eyes in this prayer. Then one day, 10 days later, suddenly, without any further warning, two things happened simultaneously. The sound of a mighty wind. There was no wind. It was just a sound. It was just a sound. And the sight of fire. Uh, Tongues of fire, pieces of it, breaking off a hot center and landing on every one of them in that room. Uh, These are symbols. God at that moment was communicating not in words but in pictures. And when he does that, he intends that we would accurately discern what those pictures mean. So to me, both of those images speak of power, the latent power that's available in the spiritual world, the the power that's in God's hands uh, at all times. You can't see wind, but it's hard to deny that it's there. You feel it. You can't control fire, but you could sure benefit from it if you could get close enough to it and not get burned. So that day, now get the story. They've, they've prayed 10 days, waited on God, and he says, I'm the power you need. I'm what you need. I have the energy, the momentum, the direction, the strength that you've been, that the world needs. And you seek me and I will come fill you with that power. Sometimes people talk with me about the fullness of the Holy, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it sounds as if they imagine him to be a liquid that you've, that he, you, God can pour more of the Holy Spirit into you. Now, without any contradiction, the scripture does say pour out the Holy Spirit. But I don't think its effect is to make him a liquid. He's a person. Pouring means his generosity, That, like the fire. It goes to everybody. It's, it's not just a few people. It's to pour it out in generous measure to people. The, uh, the power of that great person as he comes to take the central place in your life. Maybe the better way to think is that he's a mighty person and you cannot have more of him, but he can have more of you. Over those days of praying, what was happening is they were uh, seeking God, they were desiring God, they were hoping in God, they were waiting for God, they were uh, looking for God. And they were pushing out every other false pursuit, every other idol that had taken their energies all their lives. They were making the hole in their heart bigger so that he, that's what it means to be filled. The true God comes to live in a heart that's been bored out of all of the things. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, said Jesus in Luke 11. So prayer and Pentecost go together. You seek the Lord. That's your job, your task. It's your burden. Go find this God. You know from the creation that there's a God. There's really no other satisfactory explanation for a world this complicated and beautiful. You know that. Well, then go find him. Go find him and be right related to him. That's what 
Uh, so you seek him and discover all along that he's been seeking you and trying to fill your life. Now, in Genesis 32, there's another story, so I'm going to switch channels for just a minute. It's similar. It's not a similar story, but it's a similar idea. It's the story of Jacob uh, wrestling with a god at Jabbok. If you remember Jacob, he's not a very likable person. He's, um, he's reptilian sort of a man, uh, constitutionally unable to think of anybody but himself. He's always looking for an angle. He's a con man. And over a long process of faithfulness to Abraham, God has brought Jacob, this con man, to a real turning point in his life. One night, he goes to pray because he's in trouble again. And an angel, says Genesis 32, came to wrestle with him. Now, clearly, it's more than an angel. It's the Lord himself. But this long struggle of the night is this outward, visible symbol of a struggle that's been going on in Jacob's heart his whole life. The struggle to trust God or to trust himself. To live life out of his own strength or to live life with God in fellowship with God. And he knows he should. He knows he should trust God. But he doesn't feel safe trusting God. He doesn't feel safe unless he's in charge. He's a controlled person. And so that night in this sweating, exhausting, dark struggle, uh, the only way we know this is because Jacob told us a story later. Just before daylight, the angel says, let me go, you cannot see my face. And in this huge breakthrough, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. I'd rather die. I'd rather die. As if in a moment he finally figured out how to use his stubbornness the right way, I will stubbornly seek God. I will use all the will and the power that God has given me. I will, I will not let go until I find God and he blesses me, he says. Um, and the word bless is actually pretty interesting. Uh, the word bless in Hebrew is barak, which means to kneel. So what he really said that night is, I will kneel but I'm counting on you to help me now. I will kneel, but I'm going to need your help. I'm going to call you first, but I need you to help me. That's what he said. Now, by the way, Jacob is far from a perfect man the rest of his life, but he's never the same after that night. After he decided that the secret of the whole universe was to rightly relate to God and ask him to help you, he said, I, I'm not going to do this anymore unless I can count on you. Um, maybe we do a disservice to our kids to tell them that following Jesus is easy because it really, at one level it is, at another level it isn't. When the time comes for you, to you at which you will be forced to utter the speech which is laying at the center of your soul for years. You'll not speak of the joy of words, says C.S. Lewis. When you finally get to that real encounter and you realize this is a death to you, it's a death to self, it's a, you cannot live like you used to live and be in right relationship to this God. 
he's going to ask you to give up that equation that used to be you. That's the reason Paul will call it, I was crucified with Christ. When I saw what Jesus did on the cross, it shattered that inner equation that had always been me. And I realized it was selfish of me to even try to compress it forward. I will find you. That's what it is. So maybe we should tell children, it's the easiest thing you've ever done and the hardest thing. So you have to keep at it. You have to keep following Jesus the rest of your life. Now this is the same picture that we see in Jesus. Not the struggle, but certainly the life. Uh, I think it's in your bulletin. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a secluded place, and he prayed. Now that's what the disciples saw. Here's this holiest, kindest, most courageous man they ever saw. And if you wanted to trace back all of that strength to a single point, they would say every morning before anybody else got up, he would just get up and he'd go out someplace and he would pray because he would find the Father and the Father would help him in his task. Um, If it's God you want, then you must pray and you must kneel and tell him that you want him. People often talk about the unconditional love of God. Maybe his love is, but his friendship isn't. A man can do more than pray after he's prayed, but he cannot do more than pray until he's prayed, said Esty Gordon. Sometimes it's just a small start. When I was a young believer years ago, somebody said, take seven minutes every morning. Talk for five and be still for two. Just be quiet. Let him talk to you. Now, over time, that seven minutes has grown, but it would have never grown had it not started. I just began to give some part of every morning where I would talk, and then I would hear, listen. 30 years ago, I was called to be the pastor at First Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. Historic church. They'd had hard years, years of decline and discouragement. Often I would go into the sanctuary, the same pew, and I would hold before the Lord the needs, the questions, the anxieties of that great church. Some days I would leave that, that place with an answer, sometimes just the strength to take the next step. But I will tell you, over those years, the Spirit of God began to stir in that grand congregation. New people began to join There was laughter in the hallways. There was energy again that came from no other explanation than the very presence of God who's promised. He said, call unto me. I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know anything about. I I have things to talk about a church like this that you, you can't imagine and you wouldn't imagine unless you begin to pray, unless you begin to pray. At the close of this hour, I'll just ask a few questions. Why should I? Why should I give attention to God? Why should I change my schedule and go find time for him? Why should First Baptist Richardson begin to fill up its prayer meetings and ask God for his plan for this church? Here are just a few answers. One, the call to prayer is embedded in the scripture. It's not on every page, but it's almost every page. If you believe in the Bible... You are called to this life, 
2. The example of our Savior, this beautiful example of the power of prayer, he taught us by example, this is how you live. This is how you live. Three, the promise of God for power and peace comes to people who pray. Call me. I will answer you. Will it be easy? No. But I promise I will do it because that is my commitment to you. And finally, prayer is the God's way, God's school for you to find freedom from yourself. Apart from a vital, real, honest relationship with God, you will be trapped in yourself. Your addictions, your fears, your anxieties, your bitternesses, your, your biases. This is a little life. This is a huge life. And he calls everybody who believes in his son to come to this task. So let's pray together. Will you please? We say again to you what you've told us, that faith, without faith it's impossible to please you. That those who come to you must believe that you are there and that you will reward us if we seek you. Help this dear church. Help every hungry heart. We pray in your name.